0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job on Blue Wire. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined today by sports anchor and reporter in Rochester, New York, Alexa Ross. Alexa talks a lot about the essence of storytelling and the importance of telling the story, but not being affected by the story. She also emphasizes the importance of advocating for yourself and sticking to the things that make you who you are, while opening up about mental health and why we need to talk about it. Beyond that, Alexa talks about covering minor league baseball, AHL hockey, those exciting Buffalo Bills, and much, much more. This is a fantastic episode. So, subscribe, listen, rate, and review. Enjoy. Alexa, thank you so much for joining me for today's Get My Job. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Oh, absolutely. I've been so excited to talk to you. So, let's jump right in. And can you start by taking us through your professional journey to this point?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I. I really want to say that my professional journey started in college. A lot of people don't have that view, but I do. I went to Temple University in Philadelphia. I grew up in the Philadelphia area as well. So, you know, I spent the first 21 years of my life in that city. Temple has a program that is on the rise the Klein College, excuse me, the Klein College of Media and Communication is one of those schools that really flies under the radar, but operates a lot like one of those bigger programs that you hear a lot about, about many journalists. I'm not going to name drop, but I know that they came mm-hmm. to mind. Um, but you know, I've been in, i had been involved with student media for three years. I was nominated for a mid Atlantic college Emmy, you know, everything was treated with such professionalism. We traveled to cover temple football and basketball and it was the coolest thing ever. So right before I graduated, I had the opportunity to go to the 2018 Winter Games in Pyeongchang. I was an intern and I worked as a production assistant for NBC Sports. There I I just I can't even describe the experience. It's been so long and we're about to have a summer games and it's really it was really just one of the most incredible experiences of my life in regards to professionalism and networking and meeting people and just kind of understanding what sports media was. When you go to the pinnacle of sport, you're also at the pinnacle of sports media. So of you got to see people from all over the world doing the same thing. And it was really cool just kind of to see the variances internationally. Uh, after graduation, I graduated in May of 2018. I got a job in Binghamton, New York at a smaller station there. I was there for about a year. And then I moved to Rochester, which is where I am now. In Binghamton, I covered a double a baseball team the Mets double a affiliate I actually got to cover their manager who is now the manager of the big club a lot of the guys I covered are now in the show That's awesome so, so that's cool to see it's like we've For all sure. we're all making it to the show at the same time them really mm-hmm. better than me but um and also some American Hockey League hockey that was the devil's affiliate now they are no longer there. Unfortunately, the affiliate is no longer there. Now I am in Rochester. I am on my second I just covered my second season of the Bills, which was awesome, especially after such a historic year. Um, mm-hmm. again, more minor league baseball, more AHL hockey. I love minor league baseball and AHL hockey. I think they're two of the most interesting facets of sports. And, you know, I've had a great time. I've learned a lot, especially through the pandemic. I'm coming up on two years here and I love the city. I love the people. And it's been a great sports experience as well as, you know, a great life experience. I've made great friends here. And I think that when you can kind of immerse yourself in a community, it's when you do your best work.
0: So you said that you think uh, AHL hockey and minor league baseball are two of the most interesting sports. Can you elaborate?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm an NFL girl through and through. Like my sports love started with the Eagles and will end with the Eagles. And that'll <laughs> be taken with me until the day I die. I think the thing about minor league baseball is that, especially when you start covering double A and then move to triple A, which is what I did, mm-hmm. you're seeing the guys who are, who are probably going to make it, but they're not quite mm-hmm. there. They're mm-hmm. figuring it out. They're understanding what their skills are. They're developing. I love development. I love developmental leagues. I think that it's, you get the best stories from there, which is another reason mm-hmm. I the AHL, but then moving to, the AAA sphere, we're the AAA affiliate for the Nationals. So you have Gerardo Parra, who's on a rehab assignment because he's hurt, but you mm-hmm. have got a ring. You know, you see this guy who has brought such joy to the city of DC. And then you also have, you know, these younger guys like Luis Garcia, who just turned 21. And is leading off with home runs and stuff. And he's supposed to be the next big thing. So it's Mm -hmm. really fun to kind of see where things start and end. And AAA is such a weird spot too, because you have the guys who come down on rehab and you have the guys who are kind of teetering between. And because of the, this season with the taxi squads at alternate sites and AAA Mm -hmm. still going on, you're not seeing the same dynamic that you might normally see in AAA. Because some of those big guys will go to the alternate site and not rehab in AAA. Um, okay. But it just kind of depends on the injury, how long they're there, what the IL looks like, and just um, num- truly just numbers at this point, which is how hockey was as well the season. But, you know, being and then having the AHL so close to their parent club in Rochester and Buffalo, you know, that was really fun to see because the guys who I covered the last time there was an NHL season, which feels like so long ago at this point, (laughs) they were the guys who played for the Sabres. There were people who really made their debuts and made a lot of people excited in a less than awesome season. So, you know, as much as I love covering the big sports, I love the developmental aspect of minor league sports, um, those levels of professionalism, as well as college sports.
0: So you have worked behind the scenes, you've worked in front of the camera, you've managed social media, you are a, well, I'm going to say a jack of all trades, but you're an Alexa of all trades. So how does your preparation differ for each one of those?
1: Yeah, I think it also depends on sport. I think that that mm-hmm. is a really big thing as well. So the way I'll prepare to anchor for a show is not the same way I'm going to prepare to do an interview for a feature story, which is not going to be the same way I prep for a sideline gig. It's just mm-hmm. kind of all over the place. Everything, though, comes down to a lot of organization, like hyper organization. And if you know me as a person and you've been in my house, I like to describe things as kind of organized chaos. Um, <laughs> I know where everything is, but not everyone else does. <laughs> whereas, you know, Okay, it's your house. No one else needs to know. That's okay. Um, <laughs> my notes are very meticulous and I try to make sure that I have at least a baseline of questions, but I hate preparing this question has to be first. And then this question and this question, Mm -hmm. I think it's more of an outline as to how the Mm -hmm. conversation can go. Because if somebody gives me a great nugget of information, I'm going to want to follow up on that and not just say, Oh, well, let me, uh, I have to ask this question first. No, that can kind of come organically or that part of the story can completely be abandoned because there's a whole different cool thing that's going on. As for social media, content plans are huge making sure you know what you want to get when you do something, especially on big game days. It's one of those things that you just want to make sure that you have an idea of what you want. And then of course, let the organic fun stuff come from there. And then beyond behind the scenes, I feel like it's just because I've never been like, I've never been the, pro- the main producer or, in, mm-hmm. or anything, just following what they want from me or what the idea is. Because at the end of the day, You can't deviate from the rundown, but I'll do whatever I can to help the rundown or help them fulfill maybe something that they might've missed or something that they didn't think about because, you know, as well-rounded as a broadcast that you can have is, you know, the best it can be.
0: So you, you mentioned obviously how it it differs for every sport and and all that. How has been able, let me start that sentence all over again. How has being able to cover a variety of sports made you a better reporter?
1: I think that it's made me just able to think on my toes and I think when you pigeonhole yourself in one thing, that's not to you know, that is not to speak bad on anybody who is just like in one sport all the time. Mm-hmm. I think that it will make me better when I get to the point where I'm gonna stay in one sport all the time. But mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. knowing what you know, you have to kind of be able to do a little bit of everything when it comes to your coverage. But at the end of the day, all these people are athletes, you know. You're telling the story of a game, of a group of people, of a person, and regardless of who they are, what they're playing, or what they're doing, you're going to do the same kind of thing. And I think that being able to relate to people, I've been able to relate to a lot of different kinds of people because the way Mm -hmm. I talk to or relate to a professional football player is not the way I'm going to relate to a high school softball player. But at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, it's all about making them comfortable and open to sharing their experiences, telling their stories, or just, you know, having that conversation. A lot of people, you know, especially when they're younger, don't get the prep to talk to reporters. And Mm -hmm. they either hit the big leagues or they make it to the show or they're in college you know, they're kind of like, oh, well, ah, but we try to make sure that they're not in that space and that they're comfortable and that, you know, it's more of a conversation. We're just talking. I don't ever want anyone to feel like I'm trying to, like I'm pulling teeth because that's not Mm going to lead to any, it's not going to lead to good content, that's for sure. But also you want to be able to have them trust you too.
0: And I think you, you hit on some very important points, especially for our listeners who are young reporters who are really just starting out in their careers and trying to figure out how do you talk to athletes? How do you talk to sources? And I think you bring up a good point. It's a conversation with a person. And as you would in any conversation with a person, you want them to feel comfortable. In this conversation, I want you to feel comfortable. If I'm later talking to my best friend, I want her to feel comfortable. Three weeks from now or six weeks from now, I'm talking to George Kittle. I want him to feel comfortable. So it's just important to remember you're having a conversation with a human. And I think for all of us, when you take the, oh, my God, it's Josh Allen out of it, which I think is difficult as a very young reporter starting out, um, then I think it's better for you're more comfortable, they're more comfortable, everyone is more comfortable.
1: Yeah. And I think that's so true, too, with coaches as well. You know, being mm-hmm, Absolutely being a young woman in your mid 20s talking to a man in his anywhere from his 40s to his 70s can be Mm -hmm. really intimidating, especially in Zoom world where Mm -hmm. you're, there's the anticipation of like, oh, well, you're next. You have to have your question ready. And you just want to have your question be perfect. But that's, I mean, the older reporters stumble on their questions. Sometimes they don't, everyone, everyone does, you know, it's, it's such a normal thing. And I think that they get it. They stumble in their answers. Nobody is Mm -hmm. a speaker all the time. And so, you know, you have to also take that to back to your live shots, the, you know, the shows you anchor the podcast appearances or hosting that you do. It's not always going to be perfect. And that's okay because you're Mm human, And that's what, that's what goes forward. That's what conveys to other people. See, I couldn't think of a word, but that's okay. You know, that's just so, what yeah. happens. And I think that, you know, athletes are one thing, coaches are another. I think the only time I've ever really been starstruck by somebody, and it wasn't even someone I was interviewing, was Mame Biney at the Olympics, the 18-year-old who mm-hmm. was speed skating. And she's incredible. And, you know, they do pin swaps kind of like at Disney World at the Olympics on your lanyard. And so I had a BuzzFeed pin of a corgi on a bobsled. And she was like, she was like, that's so cool. Oh my gosh. Can I, uh, do you want to trade? And she like goes to her bag and she pulls out the official like team USA speed skating pin. (laughs) I was like, yeah.
0: And then I went (laughs) back to my Prince of Buzzfeed and I was like,
1: Hey, can I have another one? Mommy Biny took mine. (laughs) (laughs) And I like that Corgi too. That was a cute Corgi. But I was like, this is like, she's 18 years old and just like, so, you know, it was just this moment of like, she's a human. And I was like yeah oh, she's a trailblazer this she's the first black woman to compete in speed skating she's the youngest to do it she is so cool uh, you know whatever matter mm-hmm. all she was interested in was this pin and she was just you know she's an 18 year old girl and you just mm-hmm. have to remember that at their core that's who these people are it's just who they are
0: yeah it's who they are and they are they are human just like you are and I think for young reporters it's a good it's a good thing to remember you know as you're as you're going into it, kind of having having that confidence. Uh, so you mentioned earlier, you are a football girl through and through. The love started with the Philadelphias, it Philadelphia Eagles. It will end with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, but right now you are covering the Buffalo Bills, though I would like to talk a little bit about your Eagles fandom. What was that like when you realized like, okay, I'm covering a professional football team because I cover the 49ers and I actually grew up a 49ers fan. So covering the 49ers was like, oh my gosh, somewhere my 11-year-old self is like, Passed out, um, but coming in and being able to cover the Bills, like you said, such an historic season. Very exciting team. They're going to have another you know great season ahead of them. You know what was that like when you realized that day came? And you're like, I get to cover the sport I love.
1: I think it was my first preseason game, not this season, obviously because there were no preseason games last right. season. <laughs> you know, I went to the fourth preseason game against the Vikings. Fourth preseason game, no starters play, doesn't matter, truly the lowest stakes of any situation ever. <laughs> but I was at New Era and it was so cool. And I walked in with the camera on my shoulder and I was like, I'm shooting professional football. This is so cool. It mm-hmm. didn't matter. I was there, I was on the sideline. My alma mater, Temple, played in the Link. So I got to cover games in the Link, but they weren't Eagles games. So on right. Saturdays, I'd be covering Temple football, and on Sundays, I'd be with my dad in season tickets, you know, like that's mm-hmm. what my, that's what my weekends looked like in college. And so now it's like, wow, I'm back at an NFL stadium and I'm doing the thing. This is awesome. With COVID, I've only been to Buffalo a handful. I had only been to Buffalo a handful of times last season, just because of protocols and things like that. Right. People all over the league were not actually going to the facility for safety reasons, for health reasons, for NFL, you know, just what the NFL wanted, which is totally fine. And we totally understand that. But it made covering things a little bit more accessible, being able to do it from home, being able to Zoom from home, mm-hmm. you know, sit on my couch and listen to Josh Allen talk about a game plan, you know, that's kind of mm-hmm. cool. But, you know, now that things are kind of back, I was back at OTAs a couple weeks ago before I went on vacation. Next week, I'll be at minicamp. So, and, it, it, you know, the first season was hard because it was, I need to learn everyone's name, position, all of that. And I'm glad I didn't have to do that this season, where it was Mm -hmm. was historic. Everything was going on. Josh Allen became a household name for a lot of people. And, you know, I felt like I was comfortable. I had a handle on the team. I knew what was going on. I knew where they were going. But nobody Mm -hmm. predicted what happened. Nobody. Everyone I talked to in Western New York media, whether they're in Rochester or Buffalo, everyone's like, that was insane. Nobody saw what Josh Allen did coming. And I think mm-hmm. that's really cool. It's really special. And I think that, you know, as they're still they're still figuring things out, sky's the limit. I mean, Sean McDermott's been, instead of the Patriots being the thing you have to beat, now it's the Chiefs. And it's really mm-hmm. just, you know, it's interesting to see how things kind of change in that regard. Because we got to see Brady, we got to see the Bills fall to Brady in Foxborough. But now he's gone and they get to win the division and they get to be the guys on top but that doesn't mean you're on top of the AFC by any means. So I'm really interested to see what this upcoming season holds for sure. And no matter where I go in my life and future, I'm going to hold the Bills very close to my heart because they were my first professional team that I was able to cover.
0: And it's a, what a cool experience. Especially oh, like yeah. you said, like this, you know, and you know, you talked a little bit about this past season and of course it definitely had its challenges and you know, the, The number of Zooms I have been on is just, it's, it's, I would love to one day sit and count them because they're (laughs) amazing. What are you looking forward to this season, assuming that we'll have a little more normalcy?
1: I'm just excited to be back at the facility on a more regular basis. Not being at training Mm -hmm. camp, especially, was really hard. Training camp is normally in Rochester, also. Mm -hmm. The NFL said, you guys can't travel. Sorry, it's not happening. We were all super bummed. They're not traveling again but it is going to be more open than it was last time. We're not going to need a pool photographer. We can have more people at training camp. We can still do things regarding training camp and coverage and things like that, as opposed to last year where it was just like one person can film and that's it. And it does not matter. Mm -hmm. We're sending to every outlet who's who needs it. Um, You know, hopefully getting back to games, stuff like that. Obviously with a better team comes more coverage which Mm -hmm. also comes, you know, more resources allocated to the coverage. So I'm interested to see how, not even just my station, but stations all over the place, how they're dealing with the bills, especially because we are a secondary market. That's not, and that's not a bad thing. People here love the Buffalo bills more than anything in the world. And it's awesome to see. We're just not in Buffalo. We're an hour away and that's fine. So I'm interested to see how, my colleagues at other stations and things like that, and other people in other secondary markets, because there are so so many secondary markets in the NFL, how they're covering these teams because we finally have a little bit more access again.
0: Uh, We're going to move on in a minute, but first, what is your prediction for the Eagles
1: this season? Oh my God. I can't even tell you. You know what I mean? They're they're (laughs) (laughs) Smoking like a true Eagles fan.
0: You guys can't see her, but she has now put her head... On her forehead she's like oh god she's like i can't even i don't know i'm afraid she's gonna come right off this podcast <laughs> I, just, I understand it though
1: the thing is it's like i don't even know what to expect from Jalen hurts one so like i can't i can't even fathom coming up with a prediction because if i come up with a really bad prediction they're going to win the NFC East. And if I say that they're going to be great, they're going to maybe have four wins. So I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm just excited to see Jalen Hurts reunite with Devontae Smith and have that Mm -hmm. little, you know, their bromance be rekindled in Philadelphia with a new coach, with new people. It's just, if I had any idea what I was expecting or anyone was staying or anything made sense, then maybe I could give you a better idea. But right now I'm just like, we'll see.
0: Well, see. you know what I think as a fan, we'll see is a fantastic way to go into a season because okay. then your highs don't get too high. The lows don't get too low. I think we'll see. It's a great way to go into the season. So Eagles fans, we'll see. We will see. I know we're not we'll people in that boat. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I think there are a lot of teams that are in a we'll see mode. So um, we'll see. At least you're not a Packers fan right now because that's got to be a little bit rough at the moment. Um, all right, going back a little bit to reporting, uh, when you do a story and you talked about obviously having a conversation and making feel, people feel comfortable, but when you said earlier, you're telling a story, whether you're telling a story of a game or telling a story of a person, are there three kind of important points that you want to get across in every story?
1: It's such a good question because people always say, you know, you want to do the intro and you want to have a hook and you want to have the, the resolution and that's like a great way to build a story, but that's not Mm -hmm. how life always works with people. Mm -hmm. And I think that understanding the essence of a person, you know, knowing their athletic ability is huge. Mm -hmm. Emphasizing their athletic ability or their importance to the community or whatever that might be is one of them. Their why, why they you know, why are you an athlete? Why are you committed to this cause? why did you go into this? You know, just kind of understanding who they are, why they do what they do. Not, it's not, who it's not who they are. It's their why. And mm-hmm. then, you know, kind of tying the two together in a way that makes you, the viewer, the reader, the listener, whoever kind of understand that kind of makes it, you put it together. There's the specificity mm-hmm. and there's the, you're putting it together. You think about it a lot when you watch movies or TV shows things make more sense when you have more background on a character or I don't know if you've seen mayor of East town. So So, (laughs) this is, if you've seen it great, if not, this is not a spoiler or anything, but in the first episode, we learned that the main character mayor was on a high school basketball team that won a state championship and she hit the shot. Her best friends in the town were her teammates.
0: Mm -hmm. You don't
1: have to ask any more questions. Like, it's just, you know, that totally makes sense. They're teammates, and that's why their bonds are so close, and that's why a lot of really different difficult conflicts come about because of the pairing of conflict and interpersonal relationship. And so, like, mm-hmm. it's that kind of specificity, taking it back to sports, that specificity, you know, when you have the essence of the athlete that will make your viewer understand them, and that's where the humanizing of an athlete kind of comes from. or the game or the event or whatever it might be that you're discussing. I like that. I think and that was a
0: good, it was a very good analogy with Mara sound Town, but you're right, but you're right. Cause it is, it's like that. And that kind of is the hook. So, you know, you understand the person and that does hook you into the rest of the story. Cause then you want to, you want to see how that all comes together. Uh, so this is kind of a, different question than what we've been talking about but you're still relatively early you know in your career actually I would say very early in your career um and you're doing amazing things when you first started or maybe even more recently did you receive a criticism that was difficult but has helped you as a reporter
1: yeah I think that you know there are some criticisms that you have to let slide you know if Mm you're if a viewer makes a comment about your physical appearance, you got to let it go. Like that's yeah. one of the things you got to let go. Cause that's not a criticism about y- you at all. It's more about the person and it's not about your work. 100%. It detaches you from your work. So you can't, you know, you have to unpair the two. I mm-hmm. think the biggest criticism I've learned is that I need to, something I need to do, especially is sometimes I need to take that step back. And I need to, you know, sometimes I get really excited and caught up in the story in the moment, all of that, that I might miss something. So it's like, as you put your footage in, if you're not on a super, stu- a super tight deadline or you have to turn it really quickly, take a step back and just kind of take in everything that you learned, especially if it's something that's, you know, really hard or a little bit more emotional because those things take mm-hmm. a toll on you. And your job is to tell the story, not be affected by the story. And you can be affected by the story later. You want your viewers to be affected by the story. You want it to make an impact to them. Obviously, you want to con- convey those emotions. But, you know, you don't want to be so overtaken by that emotion that you miss something or that you can mm-hmm. portray the emotion in a way that is tangible for an audience.
0: And. Excellent advice. I love that. Tell the story, but not be affected by the story. And that really goes to kind of what we were talking about earlier in humanizing these athletes and not getting not getting starstruck. And the, it's, it's all kind of the same thing. But I, I absolutely love that. I, I wrote it down with like a timestamp. I liked it so much. So um, if you could give our listeners one piece of advice uh, for starting a career in your field, what would it be?
1: Don't read the comments. Just don't. Don't listen to people who have things that are not constructive to say. Even if you have a manager or a boss who's making criticism personal and not about your work, you have to, you know, with a viewer or something, just like in one ear out the other. But if it's someone you respect or someone who, you know, has authority, some people just don't know how to give constructive criticism. That's true. Or they don't realize that the criticism that they're giving is not constructive. So sometimes mm-hmm. you, you need to say and speak up for yourself and advocate for yourself and say, you know, Hey, this was not really about my work. It felt like it was more about me. Did I do anything right? Did is there anything you liked about that? You know, and I think that's when you mm-hmm. start to realize, Oh, I, it's not constructive if I don't provide anything positive, you know, because not right. everything you do is inherently hundred percent. Everything about it is wrong. Unless like right. your camera's not on, but you have sound and your sound is fuzzy. And, you know,
0: that's, yeah. the,
1: you know, that's the only time when like you can really give just completely negative everything. And I think that advocating for yourself, not reading the comments is a part of advocating for yourself and protecting your peace yeah. and making sure that you are able to bring your best self to work every day. Advocating for yourself is also taking time off when you need it. Advocating for Mm -hmm. yourself is getting enough sleep. It's doing the things that you love. It's taking, advocating for yourself is self-care. And Mm -hmm. that's something that so many of us lose in a job that is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So just take that breath and feel confident and comfortable enough in yourself to speak
0: up for yourself. And what advice do you have for someone who perhaps has a boss or a manager who? is resistant to someone advocating for themselves, speaking out for themselves. Do you have any tips that you can share on how to, to navigate that kind of situation?
1: You know, it's one of those things where that's completely dependent upon the situation that you're in. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you feel comfortable going to your HR. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't feel comfortable going straight to that boss and saying, hey, this isn't cool. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you need help. And sometimes... If you have a coworker, if you're in a department of more than just two people, sometimes having a coworker that you trust be there can be really helpful because it's somebody who has kind of seen it and can kind of be the neutral observer, standby. Sometimes it's a news director. Sometimes it's your coworker. Sometimes it's your HR. But don't be afraid of just, you know, keeping the record, knowing that your feelings are valid and the things that are being said to you aren't cool and that it's okay mm-hmm to, you know, a lot of people have a lot of bad situations and that's, you know, there are also equally great situations. You just have to find Mm -hmm. them. And, but knowing that that one bad situation isn't going to be reflective of your entire career is huge.
0: What is a misstep that you see women making when trying to break into the sports industry?
1: You know, I think that not being authentic and trying to be someone else, like you don't need to be the next Hannah Storm. You don't need to be the next Doris Burke. You don't need to be the next Aaron Andrews. You have to be the first you. And it's super clear mm-hmm. and people say it all the time, but you know, building your it's own, true though, if you don't build your own personal brand and don't, you know, stay true to who you are, you can lose yourself and mm-hmm. you can kind of be, made into something that you don't want to be or kind of become a caricature of yourself or whatever. You know, I, my brand, I say in air quotes, because, (laughs) you know, whatever, is that I'm, you know, I'm snarky, but I know what I'm talking about. And I will make the Mm -hmm. jokes and I will but I but at the end of the day, it always comes back to what's important. And that's the game that's players, whatever. My Mm -hmm. brand is being open about mental health and talking about mental health when it comes to athletes to reporters to anybody because it's important and you know my brand is uplifting and supporting other women in sports just as yours is and
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know it doesn't have to be one thing but you got to stick to those things that make you you and it's cool to be you you is awesome that's why you get hired because you're you and it makes viewers like you readers like you listeners like you because they feel like they know you And they feel connected to you. And so people are more likely to consume your content if they feel Mm -hmm. that connection to you and feel like, you know, when someone knows you, they're not going to question what you know. You know what I mean? Like, They're going to be like, oh yeah, she definitely, you know, oh yeah, she did this. Of course she knows what she's talking about or, oh, she told this story. Yeah, of course. That totally makes sense. People won't make that question when they don't feel, I don't want to say like intimidated, but you know what I mean? Just, Mm-hmm. The idea that they know you, like, you know, your parents are always, hopefully, in most cases, are always going to be your biggest supporters. They're not going right. to, you know, but that's because they know you, you know, they're always going to be like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know what you're talking about because they've been around you for however many years you're alive. So, mm-hmm. You know, just be yourselves and hold on to who you are. Don't let anyone change it. And just be confident in who you are. Confidence. And if you're not confident, fake it till you make it. That's okay. Right confidence, if you fake confidence, at some point, it's going to become real. True.
0: That's very, very true. Uh, You just mentioned mental health. And so I I want to go back to that for a minute because it is something that's so important. It's becoming more and more common for athletes to talk about it, for everyone to talk about it. And it's it's such an important part of, of what we do. It's an important part of all of our lives. When did it become a priority for you and a priority of something you wanted to make sure you were highlighting and talking about.
1: Yeah. I think that probably sometime in college, which is when I felt more comfortable and about my own mental health and kind of what had gone mm-hmm. on in my own life. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I have been suffering with anxiety and depression since I was 11 years old. I've been in therapy for more than a decade now. I'm on medicine and it's not a bad thing to talk about that. You know, no, I would much rather, you know, me share my story which helps somebody go get help than have it, you know, somebody suffer or feel as though their experience is invalid or anything like that. And I think when people who have a platform don't use it, they're just doing a mis- they're just doing a disservice. And that's mm-hmm. why I love to see athletes speak up. It's why I love to hear people talk about their own experiences and their own things and you know, I make I think that the more that you just bring it up, the better we're all going to be. And so if mm-hmm. I can do even a little part in destigmatizing therapy, medication, mental health, whatever, I'm doing I'm doing what I supposed to do, you know? Yes. Because at a time there, you know, when I was really not in the best spot, nobody was talking about mental health. And mm-hmm. it felt me it made me feel like I was so different from everyone. And it was really othering and it wasn't cool. And I felt it made me feel worse. And mm-hmm, end of the day, of like, that's not the case. And so no, somebody, so if I can talk about this and have somebody else talk about it, I mean, I right before my vacation, I tweeted about something to end mental health awareness month. And one of the athletes that I used to cover, she's a freshman in college now, you know, she messaged me and admitted about, she not even admitted. She just talked about her own struggles and how freshman mm-hmm. year was really difficult and, her own, you know, her own situation, but I could tell that it wasn't something she was comfortable talking about. But it, this made her feel a little bit more comfortable. So I and mean, yeah, oh sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no, no. no. Was, that was a that was a so that was just one of those things that we say to until we figure it out. But no, you're good <laughs> until you do you that. Know, well, and and I've I've struggled too. I think
0: so, I think so many of us have. I actually think it's probably rarer to find someone who hasn't. Struggled in life, which just that not everybody will talk about it, um, and it's funny because I talk about therapy like pretty openly. You know, i mentioned like, "Oh, I had the best therapy session today," or this. You know, I'm so excited for therapy because I really need to talk this through. And you know, there are still people who are like, "Are you saying that out loud?" I'm like, yeah. "Yes, yeah." If I had to go to physical therapy, I would say it out loud. If I told you I had to go to the dentist, I would say there's no difference. Then, and I think we need to get there.
1: Yeah, and, and it's, it is important. That's why I tweeted. I tweeted out a picture of my medication, of my antidepressant, my anti-anxiety, in my hand, mm-hmm. and I basically was like, "You take medicine for physical illness. Why is it so terrible that we talk about our our medicine for mental illness?"
0: One hundred percent. Treat our bodies. And we and need to minds, get there.
1: Yeah, treat our body, our bodies and our minds the same way, and we're all going to be better off. That is a hundred percent true, and that's such a good way to put it. Treat
0: our bodies and our minds the same way. It's all part of our health. Um, so I. I thank you, applaud you, and appreciate you for being so open about it because it's better. It is better and helpful for everybody. And it's interesting that the story you bring up about an athlete you used to cover. None of us know how the thing we say that maybe seems like a little thing or doesn't seem like how it affects someone else in a positive way. And it's important to remember that. Yeah, 100%. So before we close with five fun facts, first, I want to do can you take us through a day in the life of Alexa Ross?
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is not a traditional day being on a podcast, but you know, (laughs) normally it depends on if I'm anchoring or if I'm reporting. So I'll take you through a day of reporting. So I will have set up a shoot for a story either a day or two days before, depending on what's going on. If it's a little bit more breaking, maybe a little closer to when it's actually happening. You know, I'll come in, I'll grab my camera, I'll grab my bag with my microphone, an extra battery, and I'll head out. I'll hop in my car, drive wherever it is, whether I'm going out to Buffalo, whether I'm going to a local high school or I'm going to the ballpark or the arena. I'll get there. I'll set up. Usually say hello to whoever the PR person is or the AD Mm -hmm. is or whoever say, hi, get set up and you know, do the interview. I'll come back depending on if it's a day turn or an overnight turn. I'll get back. I'll start transcribing. I'll listen to everything. Everyone has different methods for transcribing too, which I love to hear about. I love hearing about how people transcribe their interviews. Um, Oh, that's awesome. I think it's super interesting because everyone has a different uh, process. Mm -hmm. I know that people who do print are different than people like me who do video. People who do audio are different too. So I just, you know, I transcribe, take a dinner break, come back. I'll start writing my story or sometimes while I'm transcribing, I'll write the story if there's a line that I think feeds if there's like a track line that I think feeds into a sound bite. Well, you know, so Mm -hmm. I don't forget it, put it together, polish it up. I'll go and record it. Then I'll lay the track down with the sound that I've already transcribed and marked. So I can cut it, put the B roll over it. That i have also shot on that shoot. Sometimes I'll have footage from a game or something else, but I'll have the supplemental stuff that I shot that day, put it together for whenever it's going to air and do a web story and I'll be on my way. But if I'm anchoring, you know, I come in, I look at the stories of the day. Sometimes I'll cut a generic baseball highlight being up here. We now have the Blue Jays in Buffalo. We have Mets fans, we have Yankees fans, we have Red Sox fans, everybody, you know, kind of all over the place. Uh, Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. Um, And if I'm not doing a story, but I'm out shooting highlights, I'll either go over to the ballpark for a Red Wings game, work right now in high school sectionals. So yesterday I was at three different high school games, um, go back, cut them up, write those highlights, write a quick little web story about what happened in the game and then head out. Um, but you know, every day is different. That's why I like what I do. And Mm -hmm. that's what keeps, you know, life is fun when things are different and when you have, you know, different things to look forward to. Absolutely. I love it. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Um, and,
0: Really, just a fantastic conversation. So, I want to thank you for joining me and for being so open um, with me and, and with our listeners. Uh, but before I let you go, we of course have to do five fun facts. Um, so, without further ado, five fun facts with Alexa Ross.
1: Alexa, what is your favorite moment in sports? Eagle Super Bowl win, hands down. I was in I was in South Korea when it happened for the Olympics. I was not home. My dad was in was in Minneapolis seeing the game live. My sister was on a bus coming home from a ski trip from Vermont, and my mom was in Philly. None of us were together for like the one sporting event we probably should have been together for. Um, Love it. But I just fell to my knees and cried, and the video of me crying made it on national television. As did an interview with me in full tears, and all I got out was. Tom, Nick Foles beat Tom Brady. That's all I could get out because <laughs> I was a star. Oh, that's so sweet. I love that. Um, that's I just, I love that. Uh, what is your life motto? It's hard because there's so many, but I think it's just be kind to yourself. That's a good one. Do you have a go-to workout? Yes. Burn boot camp is my jam. I like hit workouts. I like when things are kept interesting. Um, it's you know mix of strength training and cardio, so can't go wrong. Go-to coffee order? I'm not a coffee drinker, so I am... We, we get a few of those on this podcast. I'm not a coffee <laughs> drinker, so I am a matcha latte or a protein smoothie person. Okay. And a book every woman should read? There are so many... I've read a lot of really great books recently. I think the one I want, I want people to read, especially in the vein of us having this mental health conversation, it's called Midnight Library. Um, it takes a look at what happens when, you know, trigger warning for suicide, um, but it's really, really powerful. And it's a really great look at mortality, the legacy we leave behind and things like that.
0: Fantastic! Thank you very much, Alexa. This was awesome. Um, if you guys liked what you heard, and I know that you did, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. I'll talk to everybody next week. Bye, y'all.